Some of the material discussed in this episode is of a timely nature, and the situation around COVID-19 is fluid and fast-moving. In the short time that elapsed since our recording, the World Health Organization has officially declared the disease a pandemic. Welcome to an all-new episode of What the Tech Just Happened. I'm your host, Penny Conway, and today we have a robust panel to talk about the effects of coronavirus on technology. We are going to be digging into how AI is influencing the detection, prevention, and vaccination process, along with this remote work-from-home global proof of concept we're seeing and then what tech giants are doing to help keep people connected during the pandemic. All this and more on What the Tech Just Happened. Welcome. I have very a very esteemed panel of guests today. So I'm going to go around and have each of you introduce yourselves, starting with Jamal. Sure, it's good to be back, Jamal Khan. And one, just one thing: is it officially a pandemic, or is it not? I don't think it's. it's nec- I thought I, I read pandemic I last night. I don't, no? th- I don't think it's been officially designated oh, pandemic right, yet. Right. So so. Regardless, uh, I think there's just one characteristic or two that is that are missing for it to officially be designated a, a pandemic. But Jamal Khan, president of uh, GlobalServe, responsible for marketing, data, and e-commerce. Hello again, it's Andre Stoikovic, program manager for Cisco. Uh, strong focus on marketing and also sales enablement for the entire connection team. Excellent, welcome. And Lane Shelton, vice president and principal consultant for our Microsoft Center of Excellence at Connection. Excellent. Well, welcome all three of you. And well, actually, welcome back because all three of you have been guests on the podcast before. Um, We are going to step out and really talk about artificial intelligence first, which is why we really wanted to have Jamal um, present with us. It's been really interesting, Jamal, and I'm sure you've been, you know, really covering this. But one thing that I found interesting in looking at what the reaction has been is really how AI was part of the detection process. I was researching that a company, um, an AI startup called Blue Dot, you know, has had been a player in uh, detecting uh, diseases like uh, Zika virus and SARS when uh, those were global issues as well. And, you know, their analytics, predictive analytics actually started seeing some data aggregated back in December that was allude, excuse me, alluding to what we're now knowing as COVID-19. Right. Um, so what have you seen across the AI landscape in terms of this detection and, and how is this even you know, possible? We say AI is, is kind of aggregating all of this data, but how on earth are they pulling all of this together to make those assumptions? Yeah, so it's, it's still a little early in, in this process and, and a lot is happening, a lot is changing. So it's, it's somewhat difficult at this point to sort of separate hype from mm-hmm. actual reality in terms of AI application, but certainly data science. You can absolutely make that argument that data science is playing a, a central part in, in this overall process. Blue Dot is a perfect example, a company that was founded around the SARS outbreak mm-hmm. um, and essentially does NLP, um, you know, natural language processing in multiple languages. I believe they say over 60 languages, which is quite interesting because that might include what we classify as Semitic and non-Semitic languages, mm-hmm. which makes uh, their capabilities quite significant. And what they do is they scour 
open source, whether it's uh, newspapers, digital sources, and they are looking for those cues and those sort of early indications around perhaps discussions in foreign chat rooms or newspaper articles, something that gives that early cue. And according to them, and again, I, I haven't peer reviewed any of this, so I'm just speaking to what's out there, um, that they were nine days ahead of WHO's official announcement around COVID, oh, wow. which is yeah. pretty significant. So mm -hmm. that's clearly one aspect of it. But there are other areas as well around uh, prevention and around uh, uh, detection, even in terms of patient uh, detection for COVID. Uh, and then, um, you know, robots that are coming into play for infection. But there's yeah, a lot I saw, of hype. Yeah. yeah, I saw the, a lot of the robots. I think the side that I was seeing was how they were using robots for in hospitals to do disinfection, mm -hmm. to do um, uh, provide treatment if it was something that a robot could do and basically be a, um, a walkie talkie. Uh, there's <laughs> right. a term you haven't heard. But like actually to, you know, reduce the amount of exposure that humans are having, they're using robots to have right. that exposure. So it, it was funny. I was at the CES this year uh, before this thing went crazy. And what's the, so, C what's the CES? Yeah, it's the Consumer Electronic um, sort of symposium, or it's the, the central conference for all consumer electronics. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge representation from Chinese companies. I mean, I think three quarters was literally Chinese wow. companies. Wow. And it was incredible seeing all these robots. And I was scratching my head and the robots are just walking around in the booths with their marketing materials. And sort of, you could just <laughs> pick one off the tray. And I was always like, okay, this is, this is neat. Where is the application? But to here's your point, the here's the application. Yeah. Where, and this was not a Chinese company. The one I think you might be referring to is um, called UVD. It's mm -hmm. a Danish company. And um, they're, they're being deployed, their robots are being deployed in hospitals where they're driving around in an autonomous way through uh, the hospitals um, exhibiting mm -hmm. uh, ultraviolet light in order to disinfect. Right. And, and then there are other robots like XAG, uh, which is a company based out of China that actually sprays disinfectant. So clearly these robots are becoming more and more applicable in right. practical applications rather than just you know, driving around, yeah, passing well that, marketing literature. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's, you know, on a, a past episode about AI, we, we kind of had that conversation, like our robots kind of take over the world. Like the second you see a robot walking around a trade show, you're going, oh, that's going to be one day, you know, telling me to get in line or go here or driving my car, um, that we don't think about the practical applications for them like we're seeing now in a healthcare environment. No, absolutely. And and uh, and so clearly we are seeing, and for example, even autonomous drones and their ability potentially to provide medication in certain hot zones, autonomous zones with sensors, IR sensors that are looking in at temperatures. Mm -hmm. uh, I, there's, there's some article out there about 100 drones being deployed in China in different cities actually doing this sort of work. So clearly seems pretty interesting in terms of how practically these these products are being deployed out there to provide some level of mitigation and management. Right. Um, but then there are sort of the more sort of I, I, what I would say palpable and, and believable sort of scenarios of, of AI um, application. And, and, you know, I'm going to look at some of my notes like there's uh, the Wuhan University's um, Renmin Hospital along with uh, the Endo Angel Medical Technical Center, as well as China's University of Geosciences, are working on uh, you know, deep learning models that they've trained um, confirmed cases of COVID uh, and looking at CT scans of those COVID patients and then look and sort of further training that with about 45,000 
and automized CT scans to provide early detection right. of COVID. So, I mean, one of the challenges that we potentially have, or we have globally, are test kits. Mm -hmm. The availability of test kits uh, on t in time. So, imagine having um, you know an AI deep learning, deep learned sort of um, 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 uh, neural network that has the ability to process and provide you with detection based upon CD scans as opposed right. to, and, and they have a pretty positive, um, you know, sort of uh, active or positive result in, in terms of what they're able to provide. Yeah, they were saying, I, I think I, I had read something on that very same thing where they were saying the normal comparison of uh, CT scans would be something that would take weeks right. and and dozens of people and you'd have all of this delay time. But by implementing, you know, the, the deep learning piece of it, it's figuring out what those differences are for that detection and then to actually see if treatment is working um, right. along the way, which is just fascinating how right. quickly. I mean, their argument is their performance was comparable to expert radiologists. Wow. So imagine how important that is for right. something like this. Right. So really interesting application of AI, data science more so quite a bit. So I think data science is is where this is really right. effectively being deployed and certainly even robots in some of these interesting scenarios. So one thing though, I wonder, we, you know, we talk about the applications and, and kind of the front end of that, but behind, I think one of the things that this is revealed too, though, is how the data infrastructure behind all of that AI, you know, the amount of cooperation, data cooperation that's required to really reach the level of effectiveness, especially in the detection right. area, you know, some of that crosses geopolitical boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 really highlights the need for even within like our government, the interagency cooperation, not just at the, you know, at the vocal level, but at the systemic systems level, you know, to really make this effective. Cause I mean, wouldn't you say that's been kind of a something that this has sort of showed is that we really need to have these systems connected for this oh, to be effective because the AI is only as good, you know, the outputs are only as good as the inputs. And it seems like this is one of the things we're learning through this is where we can improve, right. you know, that that data flow so that the, you know, so that AI can play an even an even more prominent role. Right. Yeah, so data sharing. Absolutely. So that goes without saying. And so one of the more, you know, sort of prominent organizations that are doing an effective job are, are those sort of what I would say global entities like the WHO. Uh, that um, have a more sort of global mandate. So they have the ability to go to these different sources and, and people are more willing to share. So you're absolutely right. That level of collaboration is central. But here's the interesting part. What AI also gives you the ability is that if you have unstructured, non-segmented sort of, I mean, segmented data set that has, you know, at, at face value, lack of connectivity or lack of normalization, it gives you the ability to right. peer into that unstructured yep. data as right. well and extract meaningful insights. So it, it, you're absolutely right. If you can get that collaboration, that really is important. But even in a, in a world where we don't have that collaboration, right. AI certainly gets uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Right. Just just to reiterate on that fact about when we talk about that centralized data system, I heard one thing that was brought up today by CDC is they didn't know how many. Um, people have actually taken the test for COVID-19. The reason being is just because there's no centralized data coming from, you know, our private providers and mm -hmm. so forth versus our centralized, you know, healthcare system. So right. very interesting right there points one key thing that they couldn't tell you how many people have actually taken the test at this point because right. no centralized yeah, right. data. As, as the whole process of 
risk mitigation moves down to local entities and state health providers, as opposed to the federal unit, then that becomes a challenge because now your data is propagated and structured and, and generated in these localized areas. How do you collect that quick enough, fast enough, right. and then be able to extract insight? That is a challenge. You're absolutely right. right. Yeah, because of- when you're talking about you know the different states where we're we're looking at it, it it's here in the U.S. How is it moving? How is it spreading? If you get down to that granular detail, then you might have some more strong insights on what are you going to do to counteract that? Mm-hmm. There was a, one th- interesting thing that I read that Harvard University was working on a, as part of their contribution and their data aggregation about this is looking down. And this is where in the United States, it might be um, pulling some more public personal information, but something as uh, simple as Facebook or Instagram. Instagram, how people are communicating about uh, the virus today. So are they saying that they took a test and tested positive or are they making some sort of uh, innocuous comment Mm. that's their personal opinion? So this actually looks at that data and says, okay, this is actually a um, someone who is saying they're diagnosed or experiencing symptoms. And this is someone who's just blasting their opinion out. And it's taking that data to kind of see if there's pockets of population across the United States where there might be a potential outbreak that isn't, you know, being reported on yet through, you know, the World Health Organization or other factors. So I I just thought it was really interesting on all of these different from the highest government public health or private health organizations right down to how we're talking about it as people, all of that data coming together to give actionable information on how we handle situations moving forward. Right. And then and then imagine tying that sort of early set of information, which may be an innocuous social conversation uh, where you're saying, hey, I'm not feeling too good. I'm going to go to bed. That's how innocuous mm-hmm. it can be. Tying that to some sort of meaningful uh, disease propagation and then tying that to propagation of populations. What is the potential contact spots that this individual might have had with folks around them? Mm-hmm. And and then what are the travel patterns that exist from that particular town? How pervasive is right. that? And so now you can start modeling disease propagation. Mm-hmm. And that's what some of these, these um, data science folks in China and then some of the folks in Blue Dot have done is is sort of identify. And then they can then tell you before the disease actually propagates, what's the likelihood. Right. There's another company um, that's a Metabiota, which works with the USDOD that actually does that. Mm. It sort of gives you that view of what the, the likelihood of disease propagation is and, and does that based upon some of those parameters. And then being able to have that data, you know, it seems to me it also it's also contributing to the to preventing the spread of, of misinformation as well, right? Which which you know how much react you know how do you, the more that they can fine tune the reactions, you know the 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 less the panic is gonna it, you know has the potential to spread, right? And so you want to kind of find that balance. It seems like AI has a bit of a role to play on both sides. Yeah, I, and that was a question I had for you, Jamal, with um, sort of the, the speed of science and the speed of technology we talk about. Me, personally, I've I've not seen this kind of reaction um, on such a global level, you know, where, you know, uh, uh, events are being, large events are being canceled. South by Southwest was canceled. Um, other major uh, events. 
Hymns for hymns, the healthcare. Yeah, hymns, that's a huge. Hymns was huge canceled. I have music on my brain. Um, hymns was canceled, and we're seeing um, major company mandate, like company statements, going out about this. Is the information that we were able to gather so fast about where the disease might be, where um, they're starting to see pockets um, of illness, and it is the the data, it, the access to data, speed of data, almost creating more uh makes it seem like it's a more you know bigger reaction than it has been historically you know i i be honest with you i i don't know i i'm not an expert and and, and we would never give any guidance of that sort to either uh, in terms of um you know what are the right decisions to take and right. i think our sort of um, a formal response to this would be you know we we all follow the cdc guidelines and we mm-hmm. look for for that, those sets of instructions. But I think from a layman's perspective, it just makes common sense, right? That you limit your interaction with large groups of folks because mm-hmm. that's how such diseases propagate is through contact, is through touch uh, and things of that sort. So, you know, I have a personal view. It's certainly not the company view. I, I think it's always better to be cautious mm-hmm. in, in some respects. And so from that perspective, we at Connection decided to disengage from the HIMSS conference uh, well before the actual conference itself got canceled because we certainly want to uh, make sure that we are we err on the side of caution for our employees and our partners and our customers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, again, from a personal perspective, I think this is the right thing to yeah. do that folks are doing, which is canceling some of these events or, or limiting travel. Uh, but does it get backed up by data? I'm not exactly sure on that, to be honest with you. Yeah, because I, I just, uh, I wonder, if, and, and almost a, a positive thing, like if we didn't have all of this information before, we wouldn't have made these decisions, which may have accelerated people having exposure to it, people getting sick. So it seems like it it maybe is a, um, a very big reaction that we haven't seen before, but it's actually putting us in a better position to be proactive. And I think that's more of what I meant. Like it's it's allowing us to be more proactive in, in the decisions we make rather than reactive um, when it comes to our town or comes to our city or our country or whatever it might be. I think be. it also feels bigger because we're a much more global society now. I mean, when connected, I, yeah. I believe Microsoft canceled Ignite in Europe. I'm not 100% on that, but I think that happened. And when it first, at first I was like, wow, they canceled Ignite. I started thinking about the economic effect of that. I mean, all mm-hmm. those, you know, the people. And, and then I thought, well, you know what? They get people from like 100 countries come right. in in one place and then they go home. I'm like, yeah, of course they canceled <laughs> Ignite. Wow, that makes perfect sense. But that's, you know, and that, that seemed like such a big drastic thing. But if you, like you said, you apply the rules of common sense, it's also this whole experience is revealing how globally connected yeah. we all are today. Right, and right. so it's, it's like, what else can you do in some cases, you know? Right. Just- and when I think when one um, or a few start to make those big decisions, it sort of creates that waterfall effect. It's okay, you know, if Hims is going to be canceled, if Microsoft's canceling an event, if HP is canceling an event, um, then this is for the greater good. I mean, we've seen um, statements from uh, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook, where they're asking, you know, very simply uh, employees that have the ability to work from home, 
work from home. If you are do not, it's not essential that you travel, then try to do things remotely, virtually um, in place of that in-person interaction. It's, I think we have so much exposure to what everyone is doing across the globe that we're all following suit to just follow those best practices and guidelines and just to one, be preventative. one additional guideline, which is certainly not get together with five people in a small room. That's a guideline somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah we are so. in a very small, I think this room is cleared for three people. You're right, right. So it's interesting today is uh, we're on conference calls with Cisco and training and so forth. They're mandated right now that if it's not an emergency in essential function to be in the office, everybody's working from remote and it's the same thing throughout Meraki. So they're being very kind of proactive mm -hmm. in that approach. And so just Use your common sense out there, you know, in terms of travel, if it's not an, an essential emergency type of function, then do remote. You know, they've obviously there's several collaborative tools out there for people to use. And Cisco is a primarily a WebEx consumer, so it makes sense. Right. Well, I right. think it'll be interesting in the future too to start thinking about asking questions like, OK, it, we had to cancel hymns, right? So, you know, because that, you know, again, that's a place where everybody comes from around the world and then they go home. So it made sense to cancel it. Is there an alternative experience that would, right. through technology, that wouldn't require, that would be somewhere between cancellation and, you know, forge ahead, right? Like, how do we, is there, obviously it wouldn't be, have the same impact as the, the conference of hymns has, but I think company, you know, companies and people are going to start like looking for those technology alternatives because if this ever happens again, then maybe we don't have to choose between a binary choice of cancel versus attend. We right. can kind of, there's always that def, that, that backup of, okay, you know, like a rain, you know, if it, if it rains, we'll have the game a different day. Or if it, you know, if we can utilize technology to, okay, all of a sudden we're going to shift into webcast mode and everybody's going to you know, be dialing in and, you know, we can still have some of that, of the, of what we were, what we were planning even though we can't have all of it. And the VR is going to be the next way. We'll all just put our headsets yep. on and be at the conference together. Okay, we can't, have, we can't have hymns this year in Florida, so we're going to use we're VR and have it on Titan or, you know, Ohio. <laughs> you know, like, maybe it's even going to be cooler. Maybe we'll discover that, hey, you know what? VR conferences are way cooler. Oh, yeah, than, I, yeah. I think, I think yeah. that's, that's a really interesting point because I yeah. absolutely think, considering, you know, a connection I am responsible for marketing, I think now as we plan our events, we're all going to think about this a little bit harder mm -hmm. in terms of what is the alternative strategy. Mm -hmm. If we do have a meaningful, let's say, a tech summit, can we then look at a virtual tech summit if something happens? So you're absolutely right. Um, the other part that I think a lot of folks are scratching their heads around are those legalese clauses that we never take into account, the force majeure clause. Right. That is almost mm -hmm. de facto standard that is at the tail end of most legal contracts. And, and um, whether those become applicable in a situation like this. It's right. an act of God. Uh, right. And, right. And what the impact downstream to your Ooh, vendors and your suppliers and others are going to be. I think that also is an interesting element that will come into play. Yeah. It's also yeah. interesting when you talk about the, the authoritative enforcement of this right now. Like a lot of people don't understand that your local government and also federal government, if they say you're in quarantine, 
You're in quarantine. Right. Unless you are someone at Dartmouth who goes to a party. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> true. Uh, you know, even uh, taking it uh, down a few notches from the events. Yeah, that, you know, uh, that impacts a lot of people, a lot of companies. Lane, like you said, ec- economies in the area where that event was going to happen. But, you know, m- Drilling down and looking at, uh, we I mentioned, you know, the tech giants are mandating that anywhere from 4,500 of their employees to 55,000 of their employees start working remotely. But, you know, when we look at uh, across the globe, how, you know, smaller companies just uh, that are everywhere and not so digitally sound, how those companies are able to be resilient and actually change their strategy from day-to-day working practices from I've got, you know, 2,000 employees in the office, 10% of them work remotely as a standard. And now I've got a mandate where 50% of my employees need to have the option to work from home. I think, I mean, we're seeing that in the federal government right now. Uh, Just uh, last Friday, NASA did a test of all of their employees working remotely to see if they could actually operate nasa I, I think remotely we, we've, we've created a new category of of of, of continuity which right. is it you know because we, we always talk about backing up data this yep. is like backing up productivity exactly right mm-hmm. like taking the concept of productivity and having a backup right and it's usually best to plan for these things when there's not a virus storming across the globe right. you know and so hopefully this will be an opportunity for you know for everybody to kind of embrace that concept of of, of okay i've got I've got my plan for disaster for my data for, but what's my, and even for people, but the productivity itself, right? how do I back that up? And, and you, it'll, it's surprising for, I mean, for example, my wife, some of you might know of this, but she works for a bank in, in New York City and they had started doing what they call pandemic tests in the tail end of December and in Jan. So they've already wow. gone through two, what they call pandemic tests. And what those were, were essentially everyone within the company had to on a Saturday within 30 minutes, a, a time that was allotted, mm-hmm. log into their systems and try and access the different elements. And and so it's such a basic thing that, you know, folks don't right. ever consider right. because you're right. Yeah. It's, it's primarily around data management. It's mm-hmm. around things like that. It's, it's less so about, can we back up productivity and can we get people connected yeah, and get everyone connected, right. not just a small group, uh, but certainly a, a good thing from a disaster recovery perspective that companies should look at. So yeah. we, we also talk about uh, enterprise organizations, commercial, small business and so forth, but also thinking about the need for like the e-learning type of platforms that are out there because right before coming into this meeting, my, uh, pro- uh, my product marketing coordinator, her sister, they just decided that the college is taking the month of March off. Right. Like, so that it's an example of like, they're just taking the month off instead of having that kind of full networking e-learning platform set up. So like maybe this will cause, you know, the way that we educate, um, to be approached a little bit differently. Obviously we're going through that uh, state of transformation Mm -hmm. and hopefully that, you know, what we come out of the tail end and what we learn from this as, uh, any of our business and school, uh, schools are really going to take a hard look. How can we 
do this. To, to that point, what we are seeing you know, on the e-commerce end is this huge uptick of uh, acquisition on the part of our existing customers mm -hmm. of, of products like laptops, right. uh, mm -hmm. uh, Surface Books, yep. and, and things of that sort, uh, as well as you know, like Cisco products like WebEx and and, and others as well. So we're s and this spike has happened literally. I think it started in Jan, and we've seen this, and it's not ending. So I think there are lots of companies that are actually thinking of those challenges that we're talking about and are actually acquiring. Uh, and we've seen that in, in our customers. Um, and we, towards that end, we are beginning to build more meaningful bundles for our clients that, that enables them to do telepresence mm -hmm. or enables them to do um, you know, uh, telecommuting in a more meaningful way through our partnerships with, like with Cisco and Microsoft and others. So um, you will see us uh, do that more I would, effectively. I would like to introduce yeah. a new acronym for the first time <laughs> onto the global stage today. It, we've been calling them here on the podcast. We've been calling them laptops for so long. Like that, that <laughs> word's overused. I think we should call them uh, let's see, uh, P, uh, PB, what was I going to say? Personal portability backup devices. What's that? PPPD, PPPDs, PPPD. That comes up really easy on the head. Okay, this is why I'm not in marketing, but you get right, well, to We're going to have to work with yeah, them on this, okay? We, we got what you're saying. We might have to swizzle it a little bit, okay, so it's not PPPB. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, it 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 it's true. We but say laptops, they're, they're maybe flying maybe. off the shelves right now they because are. people they are trying are. to stand Absolutely up. Are. But then you also got to ask, okay, do you, as an employee, do you have a place to to work? Do you, right. can, you know, do you have the connectivity you need it? The, the, the speed network, you yeah. need, yeah, your own network, yeah, um, to work remotely. I think you know, like any, uh, we've talked about it around security and and other sort of natural disasters that sometimes you. You, most of the time, you don't even think about things until they happen. So it's sort of that two phase now, right? Where you've got companies that are in it that need to accommodate for it right now. So they're buying um, lap or PPBD bundles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to work on that. Um, they're buying, you know, bundles that they need to get by. Um, just uh, recently, as two days ago, uh, we were working with a customer to put together a six month lease. Um, for devices just to get them through a period of time. Um, but I think this is an opportunity for customers, uh, you know, whether they're in the federal space, the public sector, uh, you know, the school and uh, higher education space or the corporate space to say, when something like this happens, how do we, what's our plan? How do right. we deploy? What's how do, how are we ready? And, and, and another really interesting data point, which, uh, you know, I'm sure all of you are aware of HPE's GreenLake uh, mm -hmm. yep. platform. And historically, it's always been a conversation about CapEx versus OpEx. Mm -hmm. And But the folks who actually made the decision six months prior, maybe even a year prior, on building out a consumption-based, scalable HPE GreenLake environment... Those guys are just, they're, you know, they're, right. they're flying high. Right. They're, they're like, they, they're planning for the, right. the they, conversation about the so, raise. Like, right. <laughs> so they, they've, they've done it. They, that was right. such a smart, now whether that was something that they actively thought about, but the benefits of the HPE GreenLake right. gives them the ability to just scale up their environment or scale down and, and just addresses some of these concerns right. that we were talking about that in situations like this, when it becomes pretty much kind of late in the game, right. you don't have the flexibility of your core infrastructure to address for some of those right. contingencies that come, which is now your entire workforce is 
remote. Mm-hmm. Well, when you have an environment like an HPE Green Lake environment, you know you can scale that up or down. So yeah, yep. and we were we were actually just uh, we uh, just recorded a um, a device as a service podcast and saying the same thing of companies that have adopted device as a service, which gives them that flexibility to transition, you know, move devices in and out more fluidly. You know, if they are that company that's falling into 76% of our workers are on desktops that they just invested in, you know, six months ago, they can now have the option to return many of those devices and replace them with the equipment that they need today. Mm. So the one thing that I have a real strong question on is like, are our ISPs, are they freaking out right now with the amount of like traffic that they're going to see potentially on their home networks? It's fine that we are in an office environment where we've got that pipe coming into it. But think about it like when I'm at home and I've got a pretty good pipeline coming into the house, mm-hmm. but with my two kids and my wife being on something and when I actually want to do something, yeah, there's a little bit of degradation in terms of the speed and everything. That's just my house right. on the network, every single street on the house, uh, well, every what, street yeah, what on What happens right. when B2B scale traffic suddenly shifts to the B2C backbone? Like what happens there? I don't think... Well, you know, I, I guess we're fine. We're, we're we'll find, find out. out. We'll find out. <laughs> no, we wait for five G. Then yeah. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. that you know maybe this is a, this is the disruption that moves everything along faster. Yeah. Like it will move five G along faster. It will move business yeah. continuity planning AI, along faster. Yeah. AI along faster. Like and there's always these things in history that are a catalyst to what is next. And I think you know we've been we've done a ton of different podcast episodes on different technologies and we always talk about wow it's moving so fast than it used to um, but we don't always point to hey this event happened and from that point on we saw an acceleration in technology x y and z and i think we are living that moment right now agreed um, so I want to give the opportunity because we were talking about, um, you know, obviously the remote working and collaboration. Um, I know Cisco um, has put out uh, Cisco and Microsoft have communicated how they can help uh, companies, tr- you know, navigate this transition. So I'll give you, uh, Andre, a moment to plug yourself here. Sure. I mean, uh, Cisco has a, a, a social responsibility and it's something that's a big backbone of the company. So right now they're extending 90 day uh, trials out to uh, businesses throughout the world. Essentially, they've seen uh, the WebEx backbone in China grow four to five times its size ever since the wow. first uh, identification of COVID-19. Um, as we look to, you know, make it an option for businesses to go out and keep their productivity up as they have to consider possibly having a remote workforce, Cisco has offered that out. So as a, a way to essentially uh, respond to make a difference with what we're experiencing. Awesome. And Lane, um, on the Microsoft Teams side? So I think I'm going to come at this from a bit of a different Mm -hmm. angle and say that I think, you know, this really illustrates the need to have a a foundational uh, 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 commitment to excellence in remote working, teleconferencing, et cetera, uh, at all times and having a good platform that can do that because then you can, that platform can then as part of that, you know, productivity backup, it just goes right into effect. Um, And I know like for us, 
being on the Teams platform has been a huge help because it's so integrated with everything else. Right. And right now we have one of one of my colleagues is he's at home under 14 days of, of self quarantining because he made the mistake of going to vacation in Milan, Italy and coming <laughs> back. And, 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 you know, he says that they said stay, you know, stay home for 14 days. But, but we've hardly noticed because right. so much of what we do is via Teams and things that you don't often think about, like, for example, the ability for Teams to just, you can record your meeting and then it automatically goes into stream with all the cr right credentials in place and, and everything there for you. Right. So in a situation where it gets very chaotic and you still want to be productive and you're having these meetings, okay, now I'm recording meetings. And if somebody was on the invite that didn't get to attend for whatever reason, there's a recording right there. They can still go consume the content and we can carry on as much as normal as possible. And I, so I think it's really important to have that really tight collaboration platform in production at all times, mm -hmm. because that's going to be the least of your worries right. when something like this happens, because, you know, then your employees go out to their homes They've, you know, and it, and like for us, it's been fairly seamless. So yeah. we're still getting our stuff done. And I, I think Microsoft has, you know, as part of their, their business uh, value and what they, they have communicated. I mean, Microsoft has always been a big proponent of working from home and their tools have fostered collaboration. This and is where you start to so see the power. Of this the is ecosystem. where you're going to start seeing it in action. Yep. This is where you see the power of the ecosystem. Yep. And when everything's so nicely tied in together, it creates a very seamless, a seamless experience that can transition very quickly, which, you know, which is great because that's just one less thing you have to worry about. Right. And it's, it's great, whether it's Teams or it's WebEx, we really look at the power of like, if you have a specified project team, it becomes that main centralized resource. It doesn't matter where you are or, you know, what time it is, is all in one spot for you, whether it's the files, any of the communication notes, action items, and so forth. Both platforms allow everyone to stay properly aligned right. to be productive. Yep. So I, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I think this was a, um, a a little bit of a different conversation than what a lot of people have been hearing from the the hype and the hysteria. So really looking at how um, AI has helped us on the detection, um, prevention, and uh, really vaccination. I don't think we covered that too much, but I, I think that's really what we'll see next um, process. And then what the global response has been from um, canceling events to work from home mandates, but more importantly, how connection can really help um, our customers get up to speed quickly uh, with what's going on. You know, Jamal noted uh, an increase in B2B to get all of those work from home uh, assets um, in their hands to deploy um, from short term leasing programs to get you by um, and then, you know, uh, assist you in those larger conversations about business continuity. So Thank you all for joining us. Um, and, and one thing, oh. just be sure to call your connection rep and, and tell them and ask about the PPBRs. <laughs> <laughs> You've already changed the name, PPBDs. Or P oh, wait, I yeah. have my own acronym. Uh, okay. So, uh, yes, like Lane said, uh, reach out to your connection account manager um, across all of our subsidiaries um, to help you uh, put into action what you need to for the next few months. Um, and if what, on whatever platform you are listening on, um, please like, share, and follow us. You can also email us at podcast at connection.com. Um, and so thank you guys so much. That's uh, our What the Tech Just Happened for today. And I'm sure we'll be back with an update here in the near future. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you.